0: With chopsticks. The truth about dictatorships. A podcast with Qin Li Wen and Marcel Chan. Li Wen, the lab theory is back. The lab theory of the origin of the coronavirus exciting right
1: well to me it's not exciting to me it's just i feel bitter
0: you feel bitter do you know what we've been of i course. remember our very first episode we recorded yes. more than a year ago and it was just like the kickoff of the pandemic it hasn't reached germany back then but i think it was in february 2020 i remember us talking about the probability of a lably. And I remember that we were just very careful, just, you know, mentioning it, that there were like uh, incidents in the lab in Wuhan, like years ago from a professor, apparently, who sold lab animals on the on the local market or something. And he got punished for it, as far as I remember.
1: Yeah, yeah, and yeah.
0: We didn't really dare to, to to claim, well, it was a lab leak. We refrained from it, basically, right?
1: Yeah. When I look back to that time, I mean, I was accused of promoting conspiracy theory on German TV when I received an interview then uh, by my own family members
0: oh, really? Yeah. at that time. What, it was, was a it tough time.
1: It... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, in a, it was a tough year, I tell you. Because I spotted the outbreak, China was trying to cover up in the very beginning. I was accused of uh, fear-mongering and lying by German senior diplomat in EU, and then I was accused of spreading conspiracy theory by a German family member.
0: Well, before we now state that it was a lab leak, we still have to say, well, a lab leak is still not proved at all, right? Everything
1: the- is a hypothesis. Let's exactly. put it this way. Because right. you cannot prove that it originated from the nature either. There is no proof. There is no hard proof that it came from the seafood market. There is no hard proof in which part of the nature it came from. Journalists from Britain, from US, trying to go to Yunnan, there is a hypothesis that it originated from a well where there are many bats, and it might originate from there. International journalists wanted to investigate into it, and they were all stopped and kicked back and interrogated also by local authorities. So nobody can say that one thing is for sure because nobody knows.
0: But nobody can rule out. This is the exactly. thing. And for a year, more than a year, basically, well, at least six to eight months, I think, within the last year, yeah. there was no discussion at all about lab theory. It was totally silenced. And, and now and now it's emerging again. Uh, indeed, it could be a lab leak. I mean, you know, what was always strange to me within the last 12, 14 months is, well, if, if China, if the Chinese government doesn't have anything to hide, why wouldn't they let the WHO into the country and examine the way they like to do it? But they actually filtered everything. So everything that WHO received during their two-week trip in or research trip in in Wuhan and around was actually filtered by by Chinese scientists firsthand.
1: And that was after months, half a year's delay. If we if we come back to the sabotage from China's side, I want to remind people again that. In the very early stage of the outbreak, even before Beijing acknowledged there is an outbreak, there is a SARS expert who was the top SARS expert in Hong Kong called Guan Yi, who has visited Wuhan by himself without local government inviting him because he really was concerned. So he went there. He went to the Wuhan seafood market, which is said to be the origin place, and found out that everything in the market has been cleaned. The whole market was rinsed, and he was scared to help because without knowing where the origin is, it's very hard to contain it. He learned how many people actually and how fast this virus has infected. And he immediately escaped Wuhan and went back to Hong Kong and said, I've never seen something so scary in my life. And this interview was published on Chinese media. I actually seen people mentioning it in English sources or social media, but no English media picked it up at that time. So the cover-up actually started already very early, starting from excluding scientists from their own community.
0: So, but now we're back at the, at the point where we talk about lab theory. There must be reasons for this, right?
1: Yeah, a wonderful group, Drastis.
0: Right, yeah. Basically, it's, it's, it's a group of, of, of common scientists, not really related to it. Scientists, uh, internet nerds, data researchers were digging in, in documents, official documents, Chinese documents. American
1: documents too,
0: yeah. American documents, scientific data banks. And this group, um, Drastic, they are called now, right, Decentralized Radical Autonomous Search Team. And uh, they were complementing each other by doing little research here, a little research there. And piece by piece, they put together a puzzle that finally cannot prove that it is a lab leak. But it puts on a table a lot of questions why the lab theory hasn't been discussed for quite a while. There, There is a U.S., scientist called Peter Dajak, And he actually has very good relations to the virologists. They work China. together. <laughs> and interestingly, Dajak is the driving force behind a letter that has been published by the medical journal, The Lancet, very early in the pandemic, last year, February or March. 27 scientists in this letter abandoned the idea of a conspiracy theory, saying that this virus is not man-made. And the perception was, well, there was no lab leak but the latter actually abandoned just the idea of a man made virus leaking out from a lab. That perception went along very well with the, with the interests of the Chinese government. And also, the questions of Dajak's interests pop up here at that point because Dajak, years ago, founded the Eco Health Alliance, a foundation that cares about wildlife and stuff, funds into research, into projects. They are financed with 17 million U.S. dollar by the U.S. government per year. And part of this money actually were funneled to the Wuhan lab. So the U.S. government, knowingly or not, financed the Wuhan lab or part of their work. The thing is that this lab has collected coronaviruses from horseshoe beds for more than a decade. They were gathering far larger collection of samples and genetic sequences than any other lab anywhere in the world. And... The samples cannot be checked anymore, because the database went offline. And guess when? It was September 12, 2019. Just before the pandemic began. And the Wuhan lab, where Dr. Shi Zhengli is in charge, the bad woman, she's called. Bad like Batman, not bad like the opposite of good. So, bad woman Dr. Shi Zhengli was in charge of that data bank, And she refuses to reopen it because she's arguing that it has been subject to hacking attempts. And Dajak actually doesn't put that into question. He says he knows what is in the database and that it is of no relevance, which is why he has not asked his friend Dr. Xu to share it. So to wrap it up, there's a database that could help to find out the origin of the coronavirus, but it's taken down in September 2019, just a few months before the first cases of COVID-19 popped up in Wuhan. And Dr. Daszak says, well, there is no need of reviewing these samples. They are worthless. And his foundation funds, partially the Wuhan Institute of Virology. So this is the greater connection. And all these facts that have been digged out by the group DRASTIC, bring up the question if the lab leak theory was meant to be covered up. And at this point we are now. When SARS popped up 2002, 2003, it was just a few weeks before scientists figured out that food handlers were catching it from infected palm civets on sale in markets in Guangdong province. And that, in 2002-2003, that was before modern high-speed genomic sequencing was invented. Today, with better technology and after 18 months of searching, Chinese authorities have tested north of 80,000 animals in markets, on farms and in the wild all across China and found precisely zero. And that, of course, makes people wary and as long as the Chinese government doesn't give any answers, this lab theory will not disappear. I'm pretty sure that the lab theory, the lab leak theory as an accident might take hold.
1: If people are interested, I strongly recommend them to read two recent investigative reports about it. One is, done by the Vanity Fair investigative journalist called Catherine Eban. She and her team has read hundreds of pages of documents going into lab leak theory and find out that the American government, including CDC, American Central Disease Control, have sabotage deliberately within the American government in different departments, trying to sabotage the effort of investigating into a lab leak possibility. This is one. The other is the Newsweek article called How Amateur Sleuths Broke the Wuhan Lab Theory and Embarrassed the Media. So both articles are telling fascinating stories. From the very beginning, the American government is deliberately diverting people's attention from the lab leak theory and even stop it, including scientific community that are related to the virus research. And the more we look at it, the more we see the clearer picture. Obviously, first of all, the Wuhan virus lab is doing gain-of-function research, which means to study the pathogens to understand how it spreads from animal to human, from between humans, by enhancing the function of the virus. So gain-of-function research is forbidden in the US. Otherwise, you're possibly creating a super virus that endangered the whole human. So in the US, they stop it. However, they are doing it in Wuhan lab. And it is used to be on the web, on Wuhan lab's website. And now it's, of course, all removed. But the funding from the U.S. to Wuhan lab has started very early on, going to Shi Zhengli. On Shi Li's resume, the U.S. government's support counts for more than $1.2 million over five years. The suspicion that the American government is sponsoring Shi Zhengli to do gain-of-function research in Wuhan so that they can bypass the U.S. restriction. And that is why they are so much in a panic that anything pointing close to the Wuhan lab might burn their own ass. This is very, you know, understandable motivation to blockade such effort of investigation. And that explained why the American former CDC director, Dr. Redfield, he got death threats from fellow scientists after telling CNN he believed that COVID-19 had lab origin. And this is from Vanity Fair's report, by the way. The thing is that Dr. Redfield was simply talking about a hypothesis that is possibly true, just like the virus originating from the nature, that kind of hypothesis. And this is scientific attitude we are talking about, right? If you don't know, if you have no evidences of any origin of the virus, then you have to keep open to any possibilities. And how come scientists suddenly become so violent and send death threat to their counterpart, to their peer, simply because he raised the hypothesis? There is a lot of interest involved. There's lots of people's funding and projects and the future career involved.
0: Well, yes actually that's 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 the bottom line so it, it seems there is a, a cover-up of a lot of things and that now makes people wary and it, it triggers more demand for research i'm not very positive that the chinese government will accept uh, another who team coming to wuhan and if there would be a continuation of of the examination in china i think the circumstances wouldn't be less different to to the last time which means they are the Chinese scientists were in the lead. So the the question is, will we ever find out the truth? I'm not really sure about it.
1: There is an additional connotation to this. I mean, I'm not only mentioning about how China bullied the whole world during the early time of the pandemic, you know, like scolding Italian ambassador because Italy decided to stop the commercial flight between China and Italy in the early stage. And that forced Italy to reopen the commercial flight and, you know, brought Italy all this disaster immediately after that. And we are not only talking about, the, for example, the uh, Chinese diplomats kind of threatening any country who dare to criticize China simply because China's cover up and threaten them and say, oh, if you don't like us, you don't need to use our masks when the whole world is desperate for masks and etc. Cetera, et cetera, I mean, all these things were adding up, right? But just for one thing, you look at how, how horrible in, in the system when human lives is seen as something dispensable in the face of political power. Your natural instinct is to feel angry. I'm sure that the turn of feeling of people in this past year towards China is kind of driven by this sort of fear. And like angst or anxiety. But I'm quite stunned by the slow reaction of German government in general. I mean, many German parties, mainstream parties, except the Green, that are so slow in criticizing the Chinese government's reaction in the whole pandemic. And also trying so carefully to tread around the core issue here which is China's cover-up refusal to cooperate with the world to control it.
0: Regarding the Chinese government, there is no interest at all to be blamed as the, not only as the place of origin, but also, well, the core element of what went wrong and be res- being responsible for a worldwide pandemic that costs billions of billions of dollars worldwide and it uh, and, and costs a lot of, of human lives. Um, This is a PR disaster for for the government. But does it really make a difference if we believe the Chinese government was covering up a lab leak? Regarding the German government or the European stance on it, um, even if if the theory of the lab leak takes hold and the narrative is like, uh, we will never know, but uh, we actually believe it was a lab leak in China. I I don't expect them to to change course in their china policy at all and and of course they would definitely criticize maybe and behind the curtain they might also pile up a bit a little bit more wariness towards the chinese side but officially I think their stance will be the same basically I mean the chinese government is not too trustworthy they know for many years now and still they they acting um, wishfully that china is a good partner trustworthy and with a positive attitude towards partnership. I think that wouldn't really make a difference within Europe. In the U.S., I don't know, it's different. The thing is that, uh, funnily now, uh, it was Donald Trump, right, who actually we always labelled as the biggest liar in presidency in the U.S. history. Um, He's the one, actually, he was uh, sustaining that theory like many, many months within his last year of his presidency.
1: Donald Trump rose to power because he grasped what people have sensed. The common people in the United States suffer a lot from the globalization and the neoliberalism market fundamentalism, which means that capital flows. Out of the US into China, uh, adding wealth to the top riches, but not creating a future for the millennium generation, which is completely understandable anger because the capital chase after profit margin. And in China, they have a higher profit margin because they have no labor protection. So you can have cheap labor there. You can pollute China's environment without any cost and get money into the pocket of the the top rich. So American people, look at the life there, the the younger generation. Half of their life, they have to pay the debt for going to university. They don't even have money to, to raise children and give the children a better future. Many of the middle class are going down the drain. That is where Donald Trump grasped this kind of resentment and rose to power. And he has been anti-integration with China It's called Chimerica. There's a word fabricated by an American uh, China expert called Chimerica, which is a kind of integrated interest fusing US and China together that only benefits the elite. And so Trump was against this Chimerica process by theory. And he rose up to the ladder. And of course, he immediately adopted the suspicion on a lab leak, the theory he adopted very early on because he has no psychological obstacle there to acknowledge that there's something bad in China. But you have to see that from Wall Street to Hollywood, from Washington <laughs> to Seattle to Chicago, there was so much Chinese money in it that Even the China's think tanks or, you know, people who are making policy advisories and investors and Hollywood film directors, and they were all speaking for China. It's a huge investment involved. This whole Chimerica fusion has created a monster of our time. I start to understand it now. In the beginning, I was very confused and angry, completely cannot get around it. Why Europe and U.S.? the most intelligent, most worldly people refuse to call out on China. And then I see how America is, you know, using, the American government is using Wuhan lab to to do the gain-of-function research in virus. And then I see also all the interest involved.
0: And interests giving us a hard time. They're giving us a hard time in policy making, for example, because we have to integrate all these interests. Generally, I'd say interests are worth to be integrated in policymaking, of course, but only if society benefits as a whole, or at least certain groups of society that need support from the rest of the society. Then these interests need to be integrated. But when we formulate policies, towards China, we always integrate the interests of very exclusive groups of sometimes single people and their interest is not necessarily identical with the interests of society. And I also believe that it is these interests that talking us into that we are so dependent on China. You can argue that of course a decoupling from China would be very very hurtful for us. But on the other hand, it would be hurtful for China as well. And it wouldn't be as hurtful as some people are telling us. I think we are still strong enough as liberal democratic societies to just dare a little decoupling to show our muscles, to show our strength, to show our values towards an authoritarian regime. Mm. But we're actually not doing it because we're afraid, because we're so dependent. And you see that a lot of people are already convinced that we are so dependent from China that there's no way out for us. There's no way out. And, you know, creating reality has always something to do with believing. So what do I believe? And I create my reality along my beliefs. And if we are convinced that we are too dependent on China to get out of that position, then we also lose any chance to improve our situation. So we're listening to people who have personal interests in China, with China, telling us we're too dependent, instead of realizing that we still have a lot of means left to counter authoritarian currencies in the world, if we were just able to take some pain. But some people are not willing to take the pain and they have so much influence that we as a society mainly focus on their concerns. And the irony behind that actually is that people who have to take the pain are actually not really suffering because they are anyway the powerful and the rich and the influential. And when we're t- always talking about their pain, 99.9% of the world would wish to have these pains.
1: If we're talking about short-term interests and long-term interests, that's a different topic that I was aiming at. Uh, short-term interests somehow decide or decide the, what people do at the moment, right? People are constantly driven by their interests. So they, they choose not to see truth or not to see even possibilities that contradict with their current uh, short-term interest. But when it comes to long-term interest, anybody with a bit of brain would see that a system with so much secrecy, so much manipulation from the top does not benefit many people. And most people will not benefit from it, except those who are in the middle of the game, who participate in it. So I understand that European Union, for the, for the moment, does not have an interest speaking up against China and accuse uh, China because we don't have hard proof. Nobody could have any hard proof of any origin of the virus, so why get our, ourselves into trouble? But I think in the long run, the threat is very clear. Today, it could be one virus, 10 years later, another virus or something else. The expansion of China's interest, like sneaking into the middle of pillar industry of Europe and etc. When it comes to this sort of thing, a long-term strategy is, of course, not beyond the picture to, to plan a long-term strategy against this sort of invasion or the negative impact that could be created by China's secretive, highly centralized power structure.
0: You know, but I sometimes think, does it really make a difference if it's a lab league or no lab league for our long term strategy towards China? Does it change anything? Or are we anyway clear of our long term approach and we will not let it taint by another incident that should? make us gain more mistrust towards the government, the Chinese government. You know, it's like once your reputation is spoiled, you just can behave like y- however you want to. And, and I wonder if we are at this point already, that it really doesn't matter what the origin of the virus is and if we as a European Union, well, care at all. Do we really care if it comes from a lab or not? When we're thinking about our future relation with China?
1: How could how could anyone even say that? Who cares? I mean millions of lives are dying. No, I mean how could people simply erase millions of lives, existence without getting any emotional response from others? To what level have we sunken to in our civilization that we think a government that is responsible because of its cover-up and deliberate kind of sabotage of the free flow of information and investigation, costed the world millions of lives and millions to come. I mean, in developing countries, India is still suffering. How could people just say it doesn't make a difference? I don't get it. I mean, I do see this attitude, by the way.
0: Because, because they, would argue, they would argue, look, I mean, China's economical growth makes us create jobs. And it, it makes us create existences. Does it? Uh, and and so we actually even out even out the fatalities on one hand, uh, but the, the upside is that we that we create possibility for wealth and for for better lives. And so I think no, a
1: lot of I mean China, China is not way. creating wealth. China is creating wealth for for the top ones. The wealth gap in every democracy is widening. Because of
0: that... Well, a lot of people will answer you, no, if you argue this way, a lot of people will tell you, no, look, they have pulled out, how many are we now, 600, 700 million Chinese out of poverty? This is how they would argue. And say, so they, they create wealth not only for the rich, but also wealth for, for, the, for the poor people, uh,
1: for the yeah. common people. I mean, this is something that the sentence itself, that China pulled these people out of poverty, is already a wrong assumption. China was one of the richest countries in the world because you have the most hard-working people. And what made them poor? It was a fucked-up system of communism that forbade them from making wealth. And the, the moment that the, the totalitarian government removed its hands from the private sector, the country prospered. It's not the effort of the government. It's the absence of the government, of the system that allow people to make wealth.
0: Actually, it's the government, it's the government's behemoth, behemoth enterprises who actually restrain, even restrain today, the the Chinese society from developing more wealth because they are actually blocking with their monopolies and stuff.
1: Exactly. Oh, talking, talking about that, actually, I have new anecdotes to, 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 to add. I talked with uh, several people right now who are doing their own business in the private sector. Chinese government from all levels is really getting their hands into private business. I have heard of local village entrepreneur after creating 5,000 job opportunities, being sent to jail, and the company is devoured by the government. And I have heard of the other smarter village entrepreneurs gave up their companies, tourism company, to the local government. So there is a process of, again, the uh, government encroaching, robbing away properties and shares from the private companies, private sectors.
0: Well, the private sector is becoming too powerful, too influential, too too dangerous, a threat to the monopoly of the state and to the power.
1: I think it's mostly because the government wants more, it's getting more and more greedy. And also because at the moment there is a decline in the tax revenue because of the rising of um, labor cost and material cost, like resources cost. So my guess is that the tax that's been collected from the private sector is declining It has been declining even before the pandemic. So I guess the local government to support and the the central government as well, to support the huge, always expanding public sector, the civil servants, they want to to cut more cakes. SOE, state-owned enterprises, buy share from the private sector. Private company cannot say no, right? They buy this share at very low price private companies being swallowed up by the government, I think it's mostly because of greed.
0: The result is the same. The state blocks the development, the healthy development and the market development of private companies, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, yeah.
0: They're giving private companies a very, very hard time. And so, yeah, we, we, we've been, yeah, we've we've been coming from that that figures of six or seven hundred million pulled out of poverty, and this is actually not the real case. I agree that uh, you can't say they've been pulled out, but rather it was Chinese people who actually jumped out of poverty. Well, at least on a certain level and just a certain share of society but they did yeah, it because exactly. they suddenly had the freedom to, to <laughs> exactly to do the things they can do best right and they are smart pragmatic um, uh, people with uh, with good business ideas and, and and that made them actually the step forward and and still it's the government who holds them back they're still pulling in the other direction with their own interests right yeah well yeah okay so back to the so the lab leak theory we will never find really the truth probably we will never it will never be exposed uh, probably not in our lifetime uh, what it will be anyway it's a it's a very interesting twist now that we've been taking that suddenly we all talk about the lab leak theory and uh, it looks like that china it's, it's china's time to come up with evidence to refute it for the moment, it doesn't look like they can.
1: Yeah, and I think, I mean, I get very emotional when I, in some part of this podcast, because I, I am simply overwhelmed by the disaster also, by this could-have-been-avoided disaster in many ways in my eyes, have been somehow facilitated by the blindness, the greed, the conniving of different interest groups in Europe and the U.S. to allow this to happen, and, and is, that you is know, yeah, yeah. It, it is
0: an exhorting example also for how we as a society and also the mainstream media, how easily actually we we can be distracted. Right, you just need some authoritative voices. It seems like they are able to to silence all that. Uh, well critical reflection on the things right
1: exactly exactly and i think this is actually a good lesson for democracies to learn because we are all humans we all make mistakes i mean i also make mistakes in some of my judgments along the way but i proved myself to be more prescient with a lot of things simply because i know more about china and that is a different lesson to learn i think also for me I used to have so much respect, like I almost worship scientists' community as gods, because I believe they have a lot of methods, methodology to, to prevent mistakes than I do. Until I finally see that in this story that scientific community also have their interests. We are human beings, we are driven by different motivation, etc. The most important thing is that we counter, we check. We examining, we cross examine to get closest to truth, and that kind of attitude, I think, is is the strength of democracy. In China, you would never have such an opportunity.
0: Well then, okay, exciting topic. I think we will come up with it uh, again later, later this year, maybe.
1: Let's wait for more to come. Yeah.
0: Take care. It was good talking to you.
1: Good talking to you. Bye bye.
0: with Chopsticks, The Truth About Dictatorships, a podcast with Qin Li Wen and Marcel Chana.